Welcome to Sales Tech Stars Sales Star Podcast. This is where we feature news, tips and insights on B2B sales. Happy to have you here. Andy Champion, VP and General Manager for the EMEA region at Highspot, a sales enablement platform that enables every customer conversation, is here as our guest to chat about a few proven B2B growth tips and best practices. Andy, it's great to have you here. We appreciate the time that you've taken to share your insights, your tips and experiences from being in the industry so far. It's exciting to hear from you as well as to hear a little bit about how Highspot does what it does in the industry. So before we dive in, it would be great if you can tell us about yourself, your journey in the B2B market. We know that you've spent a considerable amount of time. You've seen a lot of changes. You've seen a lot of trends come in and evolve as well. So tell us a little bit about that, some key highlights, and also a little bit more about your role at Highspot today. Paroma, it's an absolute delight to be here. So thank you very much for having me on the podcast. So a little bit about me and my journey. Yeah, as you say, my journey in the civilian world, and a little bit more on that in a minute, started just over two decades ago. And I've really made a career throughout that time in and around the world of B2B, and particularly B2B technologies, SaaS technologies. But there's one thing that I want to talk about that preceded my civilian career, and that was my time in the Army. Back in 1990, when I left university, I know that's a very long time ago, but I left in 1990 and I spent the first six years of my career in the British Army as an officer. And that may not seem an obvious foundation for a business leader. And uh, as I reflect on that and as I reflect on my career as a leader and certainly the leader I aspire to be, one of the things that is very clear to me is that the army taught me an awful lot about leadership, perhaps more than I realized at the time. And one particular concept that we may touch upon as this conversation goes on is is really the concept of my job here as a leader is to serve the people that I work with, whether that's removing obstacles or challenges or helping them through coaching and sharing some of the experience that I might have. My job, if you like, is very much to be a catalyst for their success. And I think that's a really important nuance for those of us that aspire to be truly great in what we do. So where did it all begin from a civilian point of view? Well, I started my career in 1996, making 100 dials a day. That was the very first KPI I had when I came out of the army. And my job was to source vacancies for a sales recruitment company. And I have to tell you, it was far from glamorous. I had my desk. I had my desk phone because there were no mobile phones. I had something called the Compass Directory. And if I managed to get in before everybody else, on uh, typically on a Thursday, I also got to have copies of the local newspapers and all of the job sections that were in them. Because back in that, that time, there was no internet. We didn't have CRM systems, and I really had no technology to help me scale my work or to automate any of the outreach I did. It was literally me, my desk, my phone, and I, and that was it. And it was quite daunting. You know, I'd come out of a military service. I'd been in operational zones such as Northern Ireland, but it really hadn't prepared me for what it would take in a civilian career. And that adjustment was quite significant. So uh, I focused what? was under my control. I worked hard, but I also made a conscious effort to identify those behaviors, those talk tracks, those activities that really had an impact, the activities that drove towards the results that were expected of me. And I guess I must have done okay. Um, seven months later, I was promoted and 
six months after that, I got my first field sales role. And it's interesting, if you'd asked me when I left the army, what would I want to do? I would have probably told you that sales was right at the bottom of the list or pretty close to it. I didn't understand it. I thought it was all about promoting stuff to people that they really didn't want to buy. But as my career developed, I came to find that I actually really love this profession. I love the challenge. I love the continuous learning it's afforded me across 20 plus years. But I also love the freedom and the way that it really does reward hard, focused work, innovation and good communication. So about five years after my first sales role, I moved into sales leadership. I found myself dodging a few bullets, except this time it was bullets in the boardroom or around the boardroom table. It was all about how do we devise, execute and obviously optimize go-to-market strategies. Uh, and I found this fascinating. And, and I think it was at that time that I really understood that I found my niche in technology and specifically in the space of disruptive SaaS technologies. And over the latter part of my career, I've really built out a niche working for US-based companies that are pre and post IPO that maybe have a successful business in the US, but want to recreate and grow that success, grow that presence in EMEA. And in a nutshell, building out those high-performing teams, it's what brought me to my job here at Highspot. And of course, our technology is aligned exactly to that. So it may well be that we'll touch on that as we go through the conversation. Absolutely, Andy. Thank you so much for taking us through your journey. One very interesting common area between you and I, we're both ex-army people and I completely relate to, you know, the leaving, leaving that environment, leaving the discipline that it offers and entering a marketplace which is very dynamic, which doesn't necessarily have the same kind of order and same kind of structure or protocol, but in its own way is very exciting and it's always a learning in this industry. So from one army person to the other, great to have you here. And as we go ahead, it's an interesting time for B2B marketing and sales teams today. And while teams try to push brand value in today's marketplace and create a difference, so you've spent a significant amount of time transitioning and understanding this industry and developing teams and sort of understanding what can work better, what can drive better business ROI and impact. So given all of this, given all these trends and evolutions, what do you feel in today's industry or in the way marketers and sales teams function is still missing when it comes to their processes and also when it comes to the kind of technologies that they use and how they use it? Interesting. We've actually coincidentally just launched uh, an EMEA sales and marketing confidence index study. Now, I don't have the results. We're still in the discovery phase of that at the moment, but we do expect to have those later this summer. And I'd certainly be delighted to come back on or uh, share those in another way with the audience. Ahead of that research, let me maybe draw upon the conversations that I have with marketing, sales and business leaders. They're really the core audience that I get to speak to during my working week. And it's an audience, as you mentioned previously, that I've spoken pretty much throughout much of the last 20 years or so. Maybe we can summarize it with three numbers, 65, 40, and 100. And those numbers will make sense as I go through this. Now, the first number is really critical. 65% of all of the content that marketers produce typically goes unused by salespeople. And if you think about that for a moment, and sure, some reports may see that slightly less, some slightly more, but on average, it's 65%. If you think about the volume of work 
and the talent that goes into that work, the effort that goes into that, it's a really shocking waste. And I think it's as we go into a world that becomes more economically challenged, as we face stronger headwinds, I think one of the things that we'll see is data like that coming under ever greater scrutiny. Fact is that we as businesses are going to have to get more efficient in the months and the weeks ahead, not years, but months and weeks. And if we unpack that just a little bit more and look at it from a sales perspective, as a salesperson, I'm always looking for that killer piece of content, the white paper, the case study, the positioning slides, all of the fantastic work that marketing do. But I want it to be really relevant for my precise conversation. And typically what I find is marketing are only too pleased to help. We work with some fantastic people. But the trouble is, the more content that then is produced to fit those individual needs, the harder it then becomes to find that piece of information, that piece of content that you want, the harder it becomes to keep that content up to date and on brand. And this is where the second number comes in. And research shows that salespeople on average spend up to 40% of their time searching for the content they need or adapting that content to suit their need. You put it in context, there's anything on a 40-hour week, which some salespeople work, some don't, some work many more. But if you put that in context, that's around 16 hours a week for each and every salesperson. And even if you halve that and you say, actually, no, we're pretty good, that's still eight hours a week of a salesperson's time that they might want to invest in additional prospecting, at driving deals forward to closing, or dare I say it, personal development, which will bring me to my final point in a moment. And we call this content chaos, right? You've got content everywhere. Some of it's being used. The majority is not. And even when it's used, it's really hard to find and track. And when I talk to go-to-market leaders, there really is often no way for sales and marketing to understand what content is working. Even if the salespeople find it, even if they're using it, it's really hard for go-to-market leaders to understand which pieces of collateral, which white papers or case studies are driving revenue which ones are working with a given persona or which ones are really resonating for a specific product, maybe a new product that's recently launched. And if you think about that first challenge and all the time, wasted time and effort, and then you think about the insight that will allow leaders to definitively know what's working and what's not, it's like gold dust. It would literally allow them to transform their productivity overnight because marketing would know what's working they could focus on developing that content and archive the rest. And sales, because there would be less content around, would not only find that content better suits their need, but they would also be much more likely to find it in a much shorter time. And I'll be brief on this final point, but the final number was 100. And I think one of the key topics here is, for me, it's all about driving 100% commitment to coaching. And what I mean by this is the deliberate practice of reinforcing those behaviors that we observe and note from the field that are really working, those behaviors that are driving deep engagement with our customers and prospects. And to be clear, this for me isn't about deal reviews. They're valuable, of course, but it's not about deal reviews. It's not about forecasting. It's about the dedicated time that we as leaders spend with the people on our team to help them become 
better to help them become much more effective and prepared for those really precious moments when we are actually in front of our customers and prospects. So in summary, 65% of content is just never used. Salespeople spend up to 40% of their time searching for and adapting that content. And of course, you know, the commitment I've just talked about, the 100, one of the ways through this is that 100% commitment to coaching and deliberate practice. And on the one hand, so while you've brought up some very relevant challenges and observations, on the one hand, a lot of this could be attributed to a lack of alignment between the two teams. So while the industry often talks about the importance of having a single source of truth or a unified CRM or CDP, on the other hand, it's also important to implement other superficial technologies on top of these MarTech and sales tech stacks to help align what you brought up, this content chaos, to fix the issues here, to have a centralized, maybe a damn platform or something a little better through which these teams can identify the latest version of, for example, their brand story or their PPT, or, you know, like in media publishing, a media kit becomes one of the go-to documents that speaks to what the brand does or can do for a prospect. So how do you feel marketing and sales teams can come together and align better, not only on these overall process processes, but also what you very rightfully pointed out, this content chaos in the industry. So there's a lot of plans that marketers always have per quarter for the rest of the year. They already have an idea of what they want to build and why. But if the sales teams can't really use that to their advantage to scale the efforts or even shorten their cycle, there's no real end point or value in creating all that content at the end of the day. So what do you feel teams should do better? What kind of processes, what kind of tools do you think should be enabled or deployed at this level to sort of arrest these issues? It's a really good question. And I think, look, just like everybody else that's listening to this, we at Highspot have uh, our own fair share of these challenges. Uh, we work through them. We do our level best. And I'll, I'll touch on maybe five things that I think we focus on. And, uh, and I think there are five takeaways that people can maybe note down and reflect on how they might apply one or more of them to their business. But the fact is, this is hard. It takes conscious effort. It takes constant effort. You know, the reality is for many marketing organizations, their goals perhaps are midterm or long-term. And for many sales organizations, it's about how do I hit my numbers this week, this month, certainly this quarter. And so you've got the juxtaposition of the two things. But there are five things I'd suggest to people, and these are five things that, that we try and model at High Spot. And the first one is about shared goals. Uh, and as I said, it can be quite tough with the timelines that, that I talked about before. But coming together to build out a shared scorecard is a great place to start understanding the metrics that matter and then committing the two organizations around those common goals. It forces dialogue, it forces honesty, and it forces that collaboration. And the other thing I would say around shared goals is, as well as the uh, the scorecard, one of the other things that we will do at least twice, sometimes quarterly a year, is a seller confidence survey. And we go out to the field and we question them on different areas of, of their work. It may be how confident are they in positioning Highspot against one of our competitors how confident are they in disrupting the status quo when a competitor perhaps is not another technology, but is the status quo is continuing to do the same. And 
by the way, sales enablement platforms are relatively new. Sales tech is relatively new. And so our biggest competitor is typically people continuing to do what they've always done, whether that be classroom training or whatever it might be. So shared goals is the first area I would make a conscious effort on. The second area which kind of built upon that those shared goals is building trust. It's about having the tough, open, and real discussions about the state of the business. It's about being honest where there are issues and challenges and not just skirting around the edges of it. Indeed, you know, if there's one thing that, that the army taught me is typically deep trust is built quickest and deepest in situations of adversity. So actually having those really difficult conversations is a great place to start because you'll probably find it the trust builds very quickly. And of course, one of the important premises around that is it's okay to agree to disagree and yet still commit to the goals that you set. It's okay for people to have different views. And one of the things I, I love about where I'm working is that we have a very firm commitment to providing everybody with a voice and we get really comfortable with not all of those voices agreeing all of the time. And I think we are richer and we are better as a result of that. The third area I talk about is coalescing around a shared narrative. Some of the things I've seen perhaps not work in the past is perhaps where there's a high-level visioning piece, a high-level visioning deck that might resonate really well amongst executives in the C-suite. But then when that's cascaded down into the front line where you know the vast majority of the work gets done, when AEs take it out to speak to middle management uh, or senior management, when SDRs, BDRs, ADRs take it out to the people that they speak with, that message doesn't quite resonate in the same way. And so getting the organization together from the CEO down to the middle-level managers and the frontline execution, creating activities, events, workshops, where those different groups come together to ultimately align on the messaging and ultimately understand how that messaging may need to differ slightly when we talk to different personas or different levels of influencer is really critical. And what you do with that is you align people around a single source of the truth for the company narrative and you stop a tendency that may occur otherwise, that often occurs otherwise, of, of sort of Frankenstein decks and Frankenstein conversations where people have adapted things because it doesn't quite work for them. Two more, and I think these are two important ones. The first one is a concept of the frozen middle. And I think we've all been in companies where a lot of the revenue has come from the top 20% of reps, the girls and guys that are always hitting quota. They've already figured out what to know, say, show and do in a given situation. They've understand how to engage with the different personas around the different products that they represent. And often there's a temptation when we come under revenue pressure to just double down on those people, right? It's natural. They get it already. And it's so much easier just to squeeze a few more points of quota attainment out of them. But the reality is that in most sales organizations that I've seen and worked in, there is huge potential in the frozen middle. And these, this is the 60% of the sales team that actually are really pretty smart, but maybe they just haven't quite figured out what to say. 
maybe they haven't quite figured out the talk track for a particular product or how to position it in a way that engages with buyers. And if we could only give them a recipe or a blueprint, a sales play, if you like, based on the behaviors that we see from our top performers, we could start to unlock that frozen middle. And because of the volume, because of the sheer numbers of people that we can impact there, a two to three point shift in quota attainment from that frozen middle, usually for the vast majority of organizations will dramatically outperform from a revenue perspective, the same two to three point increase in, in the top 20%. But it, it does another thing as well, Proman, and I think this is really important. It's not just about revenue, it's about sales confidence, and it's about the morale and the culture of organizations. And in the current talent market, I think retaining and accelerating the talent that we've got is often underestimated. And if you can unlock that frozen middle, you get huge gains around morale and confidence. And then finally, my final point is alignment is absolutely everything. So what's really important as we develop these principles is that we create a process to constantly realign within the month, perhaps informally, but certainly on a formal basis, on a monthly and quarterly basis, so that we can understand what progress have we made, what challenges, what new challenges are coming up, and how do we as sales and marketing teams together want to react to that and overcome them? Absolutely. So while it's been very interesting talking about these alignment best practices and how the state of marketing and sales is in today's marketplace, given today's dynamics, given today's challenges. But in a lot of conversations of late, we've been hearing about the need to prepare for a downturn again, to get prepped for what everyone is talking about, an upcoming recession or a difficult selling time because the marketplace has already been very crowded. The B2B marketplace, the digital marketplace today has more solutions and many choosy buyers with a lot of options out there. So it's harder for marketing and salespeople to break through the noise on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's important for marketing and sales leaders at the higher levels, even business leaders in general, to sort of plan accordingly, to create frameworks that can help their brands help their teams tide over what they feel is not just to disrupt in the situation in the next couple of months, but also a negative downturn. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know whether there's going to be a full-fledged recession. There have been a lot of layoffs. There have been a lot of budget cuts as well. So how do you feel marketing and sales leaders in this environment need to react? What do you think they should be doing to prepare their teams to get their brands to not just sail through, but also succeed through these difficult times. So one thing that's really clear to me is that efficiency, efficient growth is going to be at the forefront of the mind of all business leaders. And this isn't something that's coming in a few months time. It's here, it's now, it's very much the present. And I think a model that perhaps worked even as short as six months ago of growth almost at any cost is it is very clear that that is not what the markets investors want in today's world. They've pivoted almost overnight over the course of a very few short months to want to see efficient growth. And we've touched on a few things earlier in this conversation that I think are really important for people. We've touched on 
understanding and measuring, finding a way to measure what content is working, what conversations and talk tracks are resonating with your customers and prospects, and then doubling down on that content. And one way to package that is, is to think of a concept, and I mentioned it earlier, of a recipe, a blueprint, something we call sales plays. And this is all about packaging that best practice, packaging the things that you know work in the different selling situations in a way that allows your salespeople to consume it really easily and quickly. And there are four key components to a great sales play. The first is what to know. The second is what to say. The third is what to show. And the fourth is what to do. And they really very much speak for themselves in terms of as you go into a conversation, you want to be informed about the concerns that the biz, that, that the person has that you are speaking to. You need to be informed about what's going on in their industry. And then you really probably need to have a point of view on that that helps teach and inform them uh, something that, that perhaps is new to them. And there's lots of data out there that actually all too often it's not the best technology or the best solution that wins. But quite often, it's the salesperson that provides that first really meaningful piece of insight. And so I come back to full circle on where I started. It's about understanding the conversations, the talk tracks, the positioning that resonates, and then embedding that deeply within your organization through this deliberate practice of coaching. And of course, technology can help with that, but people can get started with sales plays without a technology. So for me, as we are all required to get way more efficient with our growth, that's where I'd start firmly with the front line and firmly with a view to our future success being built on their individual success. Thank you so much, Andy. We hope to have you back again sometime very soon. In the meantime, we hope you and the team at Highspot has a great innings for the rest of the year. Take great care and thank you so much once again. Thank you so much for our time together, Proma.